My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. As Hannah and I talk with our friends in the U.S., the question often comes up, how does working in Haiti not get you down? And it's a legitimate question. Most often, people are asking, how can you deal with seeing children die from a lack of simple interventions? For Hannah and I, I mostly feel anxiety and dejection due to other reasons, the violence, the inability to walk outside your door. But rarely do we feel down from our patients. I remember a book about Paul Farmer, a long-term doctor in Haiti and Rwanda. Farmer had said that he never really felt despair. People didn't believe him because he wrote book after book about the tragedy of healthcare in a poor setting. But he said that he only wrote those things because they were true. I understand what he's saying. Yes, there is always a sorrowfulness when a patient dies. But patients do not die every day. Most days you celebrate because you feel like you are part of something good. However, in my first year in Haiti, there was one patient and her mother who stood out against the rest and made me deeply sad. I want to tell you the story of Natasha. Natasha and her mother were one of my favorite families in Haiti. At the time I met her in May of 2020, she was two years old. Many of the children who enter our malnutrition program have only that, malnutrition. But a significant minority have other issues, HIV, tuberculosis, or neurologic problems. Natasha was one of those. She suffered from a severe neurologic disorder. In Haiti, where CT scans and MRIs are rare, she never received a formal diagnosis. But this was clearly congenital. She suffered from regular seizures from birth. Natasha had been identified by one of our community health workers and brought to the clinic. She was severely underweight, four standard deviations below the normal for weight for height. In layman's terms, she was in the 0.1 percentile for weight. This was different from our more run-of-the-mill malnutrition. The mother was working hard and trying anything to help her daughter gain weight. But little Natasha would have seizures regularly that prevented her from swallowing. We did our usual intake for Natasha. HIV test, antibiotics, vitamin A, plumpy nut. But our nutrition nurse, Ms. Shanka, and I knew that Natasha would not regain a normal weight. The best we could hope for was a slight improvement. Over the next two months, Natasha's mother brought her faithfully every week. At the same time, she took her daughter across Port-au-Prince to the pediatric hospital every two weeks to see a neurologist. They prescribed a cocktail of drugs aimed to reduce the frequency of seizures. All these visits for a single mother are no small thing. Each trip requires nearly all day, waking up at the crack of dawn, getting Natasha dressed and out the door to catch converted pickup trucks that serve as taxis throughout the Port-au-Prince metro area, then waiting hours to see an overworked doctor. As I saw this small family with each visit, I saw that Natasha was not gaining weight. In the U.S., we would have considered a feeding tube in the stomach, but that wasn't really an option here. And still, her mother never fatigued, never despaired. Each week, we would publicly celebrate other children and families that had regained a normal weight and would graduate from the program. And yet, Natasha's mother would sit quietly with her, patiently offering peanut paste and wiping her mouth when she couldn't swallow. It did not seem to discourage her. I am tempted to say that her mother had a heavy dose of stoicism, but that really wasn't it. It was really just deep, deep love for her daughter. Two months into treatment, it was a normal Thursday morning, time for the nutrition clinic. I started seeing the first trickle of patients, and then I saw little Natasha. In past visits, I had seen Natasha seize many times, but this was different. Natasha was seizing, and she wasn't stopping. I sat next to her. Her tiny body was rigid and trembling, and hot, very hot. I took her temperature. 
104 degrees. I watched her over the next 15 minutes, and the seizure never stopped. In the United States, if I had a child with a continuous generalized seizure for more than 15 minutes, they would be in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. But we were in a bind. All the clinic cars were out either in the mountains or picking up medications in Port-au-Prince. The last car, which happened to be my own car, had trundled off the hour before with another patient headed for the hospital. The only other option was a motorcycle taxi, and I knew that wasn't a viable option for a seizing child and mother. We would have to wait. Natasha continued shaking and seizing. I explained to her mother that Natasha would need to go to the hospital. She started crying. She understood it could be serious. As we waited, I thought about her case. She could have meningitis, encephalitis, any number of things. But she also had had seizures on a regular basis at the best of times. Any slight alteration in her body could have thrown her into continuous seizures. This could be just a virus causing a fever, which was pushing her body over the edge. If it was simply this, and we could get her treatment quickly, she might do okay. But alas, it was not that simple. We did not have benzodiazepines at the clinic to attempt to abort her seizures. Hours ticked by. The car was predictably stuck in traffic with the other child. Natasha didn't stop seizing for a second. Finally, after three hours, the car got back to the clinic. We loaded the mother and Natasha up and headed towards St. Damien's, the children's hospital. As we fought traffic and she continued to seize, we neared the facility. Once we got there, we unloaded. This was in the middle of the initial wave of COVID in Haiti, and only Natasha and her mother were allowed into the facility. We bade them farewell. That night, I struggled with the case. Pediatric neurology cases are the hardest for me in Haiti. In the deadly triage of healthcare in Haiti, these patients often fall to the bottom of the priority list. The path forward for these patients is not clear. I wrestled with whether sending Natasha to the hospital was the right decision. I know her long-term prognosis is grim. Going to the hospital requires precious resources from her mother that could throw the family into more and more poverty, and this can have literally deadly consequences, and maybe for little change in the long run. But it was a human decision. I could not watch her suffering. Seeing children seriously ill from hunger and malnutrition does not usually affect me. We can fix this, I think to myself. Carmel's clinic is built for this. But with neurologic patients, there is no fixing. Even the alleviation of suffering that would be available in the U.S. is not prioritized in Haiti. And in a rational sense, I understand this. When you can save the life of a child with malnutrition for several hundred dollars, the marginal reduction in pain for a neurologically compromised child might seem small. When you see it in the cold, hard decision tree of the Ministry of Health and Global Health Organizations, I understand. But then you sit next to a tiny child who is seizing next to you, and it's much harder to accept. It affects you. But in general, no. Working at the Lespati Moon Clinic does not depress me. 99% of the time, I know that even if children die, this clinic is making a difference. I know that more children would die if we were not there. But every once in a while, patients slip through the chain mail of armor of logical thinking. And that is where the sadness comes. Natasha's story is sad, but it does not have a tragic ending. Two weeks later, she came out of the hospital, her seizures better controlled. We continued to follow her for two months until we transferred her to one of our nutrition posts closer to her home. I saw her last six months ago. She was still real thin and unable to speak, but her mother had a broad smile and was excited to see me. She and I both know that the outlook for Natasha is grim, but her mother is savoring every minute she has with her. When we read the chaotic news from Haiti, we need to remember that there are many, many persistent, loving mothers like this 
working hard to care for their children. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. We are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.